Well, good morning. My name is Aaron Ferguson. I'm the college and young adult pastor here at Carney E. Free, and it's a joy to share with you this morning. And as we go through this series uh, titled Unstuck, and Adrian's not able to be with us this morning. He's at a family funeral, so if you could be in prayer for him. And as we go through this series, Unstuck, last week we talked about the thief of comparison and how comparison can be a a vicious cycle that steals our joy. And today, we're going to talk about the ache of loneliness. And we're going to read some statistics that are shocking to show actually more people are lonely than we ever thought. And so as we talk about the ache of loneliness, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And um, when we're reading here in Hebrews, it's important to understand the writer of Hebrews is saying to the church, the church has lost the habit. Many people in the church have lost the habit of being a part of the church. And because they've gotten out of the habit, he wants to address the church and saying, you got to get back into a consistent meeting together. And so we'll read Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It'll be up on the screens. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity we have to meet together as a church and the opportunity we have to open your word and hear principles on how to get unstuck from the ache of loneliness, Father. I pray that we open our hearts, our minds, and we apply the wisdom you give us through your word. God, use me to communicate truthfully and that uh, we can leave here knowing how to get unstuck from loneliness. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been driving your car? Okay. The environment is snowy or muddy and so you're, you're driving your car and you run into like a snow bank and you try to do the rocking method where you reverse and you go forward to try to rock yourself out of the snow but there's nothing you can do you got to call help okay or maybe you are it's a rainy day you're driving through the mud and you get stuck and there's nothing you can do to get out so you got to call for help well one time as a brilliant 17 year old I had three friends with me in the car and we we're heading to a youth group function Okay, and it's at a friend's house, and I'm from East Texas, and the, the name of the town I'm from is literally Cut and Shoot, Texas, and I was driving a 1993 Lincoln Continental, it's a beautiful car, um, perfect for off-roading conditions, <laughs> and so we decided to go hang out with some friends at this youth group activity, and uh, you know, we decided to do a dumb joke where we're just going to drive by the house it's dark, it's rainy, it's East Texas, and it floods super easy. Okay, so we drive by the house, I'm honking my horn, we roll, roll down the windows, we yell and say, we're not going to hang out with y'all, we have better things to do. Yeah, really good joke. And then we, so I say, okay, it's funny, whatever. And so I, I turn into this side road to say, okay, I'm going to turn in the side road, I'm going to turn around and we'll head back and have a good time. Well, the side road is more, uh, not really a dirt road, it's a mud road, Okay. And I'm in my beautiful Lincoln Continental. And um, as the further along we drive down this dirt road, there's not really enough room for me to turn around. So the further we go, the more and more I got stuck. And the more and more I panicked. So as I'm driving down this dirt road, 
the further I go thinking, hey, there's going to be an outlet. We're going to be fine. The further I go, the more and more I realize I'm going to be stuck 200 yards away from the entrance of the road. And so I'm, I'm driving. I can't turn around. And then all of a sudden we sink in the mud and I can't go any further. I'm spinning. So we get out of the car. We're strong guys. And so we try to push the car out of the mud and we move it zero nowhere. So he calls his brother-in-law, my friend, and uh, he comes with his big four by four and he attaches the rope to the car and starts pulling it backwards back to the entrance. And my friend JW is driving backward, you know, steering the car backwards, making sure, you know, he's going straight and we're celebrating. He's pulling us. We're getting out of there. We're going to, yes, we made it. The car swerves into the fence and knocks my rear view mirror off. Right then and there, I knew I was going to die, that my parents were going to murder me. So we run into the fence. We knock the, the rear view mirror off. I'm panicking. And he said, let's go get some supplies and we will uh, get some wood or something to help get the car out and we'll be fine. We go to get the supplies. It takes about an hour. We show back up to my car and to my utter dismay, all the windows of my car have been busted out by some random teenagers who thought it would be wonderful to add insult to injury and knock out all my windows. And so we had to call the cops and they had to figure out what was going on and we had to call a tow truck. No matter how hard I tried to get out of that sticky, stuck situation in my Lincoln Continental, it seemed like I got more stuck and worse things happened. And what I feel is sometimes we can be stuck in the ache of loneliness and no matter how hard we try, it seems like things get worse. It seems like we get more stuck. It seems like we run into more issues. And what I want you to know today is you do not have to be stuck in the vicious cycle of loneliness. I'm going to share with you some principles on how to get unstuck from loneliness. And so I'm going to share with you some shocking information about loneliness in the United States. I also want to share with you this um, when God created man, he created Adam. And this is before sin entered the world. And he said, Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. So he created a helper in Eve. Before sin entered into the world, it was a normal desire to have community. So if you are sitting here and you're saying, man, I have this ache of loneliness and I feel alone, that is not a result of sin. That is good for you to desire to be in community. That is a good thing. And so Dr. Um, Vivek Murthy said this. He stated that loneliness is so bad on your health, it's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. He even stated that loneliness, loneliness is worse on your body than chronic obesity. UCLA did this loneliness test and issued it to thousands of people. And they filled out this test to identify where Americans are in regards to loneliness. And here's some of the questions that that loneliness quiz asked. And I want you to think along, do these apply to you? How often do you feel you have nobody to talk to? How often do you feel as if nobody really understands you? How often do you find yourself waiting for people to call or write? How often do you feel starved for company? And there were more questions. And as they compiled the results, it was shocking the percentage of people that felt alone. Here's some of the things that they found out. 54% of people 
in the United States say this, no one knows them very well, 54%. 56% reported sometimes are always feeling like the people they're surrounded with are not necessarily for them or with them. And then also 40% reported a lack of meaningful relationships. They are isolated from others. If we were to compile the stats, it would tell us that more than likely half of this room struggles with loneliness, half. And so this is a big issue. You may be sitting there and saying, I'm fine, I'm not lonely, I'm all good. Well, half of the United States feels lonely at some point in time. And so how did we get here? How did we get to this place where in the past that was not necessarily a struggle for a lot of people, but today it seems to be an epidemic. So how did we get here? There's a term that sociologists use to describe Americans today, and the term is expressive individualism. So what does expressive individualism mean? It's the belief that, uh, it's the belief that individual's highest loyalty is to himself or herself. So our highest loyalty should be to ourselves and not to others, okay? Um, and so ha- here's what happened. In America, predominant amount of people in America used to go to church, okay? So we used to have a pretty much, most people went to church. But as the United States shifted from a Christian culture to a secular culture, Christians received meaning, purpose, morality, all from a higher power in God in the Bible. But if you're secular and you say, I don't, I don't adhere to those rules, I don't adhere to God or the Bible, there's only one way for you to, to determine meaning, and that's from yourself. If you don't have a higher power to tell you how to live, you have to determine meaning for yourself. And so a lot of Americans determine meaning, morality, and purpose for themselves. And so if you were to hear an expressive individualist share some wisdom, they'd say something like this, follow your heart, or you be you, or um, go and find your true self. Yuval Levin is a sociologist, and he jumped on this idea of expressive individualism, and he described it in this really uh, poignant term. This term suggests not only a desire to pursue one's own path, but also a yearning for fulfillment through the definition and articulation of one's own identity. It is a drive both to be more like whatever you already are and also to live in a society by fully asserting who you are. The capacity of individuals to define the terms of their own existence by defining their personal identities is increasingly equated with liberty and with the meaning of some of our basic rights, and it is given pride of place in our own self-understanding. Did I lose you? Are you already bored? So if you were to criticize somebody who has derived meaning and purpose for themselves and not from a higher power, you are in essence criticizing their very identity. That's the trouble. That's my identity. How can you criticize my very identity? And to help um, us have a little bit more fun here, the great sociologist Elsa in the movie Frozen said this, She, she, uh, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, she, uh, she had some conflict. She had some superpowers, and her superpowers were, mis- were misunderstood. Okay, and she had some conflict, and so instead of like addressing the conflict and say, "Oh, here's what's going on," she said, "I'm going to run to the mountain." And she sang this wonderful song: "The snow glows white on the mountain tonight, 
not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. So instead of facing her problems, facing the conflict, addressing the situation, she says, I'm going to go flee to the mountains, and I'm going to be the queen of isolation. And then maybe together we can sing this song. My, my wife told me not to sing, but I'm going to do it anyway. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> Look what she said. She said, I can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. So instead of facing society and the societal pressures, she said, I'm going to shut the door to everybody and I'm going to go to this mountainside. I'm just going to let it go and I'm going to be me. The problem with this mindset, the problem with this idea that we determine identity, morals, uh, everything for ourselves is that we do not allow outside noise or outside wisdom because it's our identity. And Jeremiah stated this. He said, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can possibly understand it? We can't trust our own hearts for meaning, morality, for understanding. We have to adhere to a higher power that gives us purpose, that gives us morality, that gives us understanding. And also, we have to rely on others to give us wisdom when we need uh, insight into our blind spots. And so I'm going to give you four principles on how to get unstuck from this vicious cycle of loneliness. The first is this. We need the tough love, wisdom, and correction of gospel community. The tough love, wisdom, and correction of gospel community. I was a football coach and a basketball coach. And when you coach sports, you can identify the skill or the growth of a player based on their coachability. And as a 21-year-old, I was the coach of a girls' basketball team. It was a brilliant idea for a 21-year-old to coach girls. But um, as I'm coaching these girls, we show up to practice, and I'm watching them practice, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be a tough season. It's going to be hard. Um, and so I said, let's start with the fundamentals. And I said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some layup lines, and we're going to ensure that we're um, utilizing the right foot. We're going to do nice layups. And, but the girls were already past layups. They were far beyond layups. And they said, Coach, we don't need to do layups. We already know those. And I said, okay, great. How about this? If every single one of you can make one layup without missing in the layup lines, we'll move on to something else. And the most confident of the girls, the, 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 the boldest of the girls was first in line. And so she dribbles, goes to do the layup, and it just smashes off the backboard and completely misses. And so guess what happened? We had to run. Um, a good indicator of your success in sports is your ability to be coached, your coachability. And the same is in life. If you are not coachable in your character and in your flaws, you won't grow. If you're sensitive in your character and in your flaws, you won't grow. An Irish journalist, she traveled the USA for a full year. And as she traveled, she made, she made two peculiar assessments about American culture. She said, one, Americans never truly say what they mean. And also, if they do truly say what they mean, Americans are too sensitive to receive that, and then they'll no longer be your friend. And here's her conclusion. She said, Americans can be jerks 
and nobody will tell them that they're a jerk, and so they'll maintain their jerkness and have no friends. Quite interesting, huh? So what, is our, what, what can we get from this? Why is counseling at an all-time high? Because we have to pay somebody to tell us the truth that we need to hear. We have to pay somebody. And so what do we gather from this? Are you coachable in your character? Are your, are your relational hang-ups preventing you from having community? Are your relational hang-ups causing you to be isolated? Also, is sin keeping you isolated? Is your, are your hang-ups keeping you from being open and honest with others? What's a word that we could use to describe what we, the idea that we need to have in order to not be so isolated and lonely? We need vulnerability. We need to say we don't have all the answers. We can't possibly know all the truths. We can't possibly see our blind spots. We need to be vulnerable and open up our hearts and brokenness to others. And so in C20, which is our college ministry that meets on Sunday nights at 7 p.m., if you're a college student, you need to go tonight or else. Um, so tonight at 7 p.m., college students. Um, I lost my place. Uh, when we're vulnerable, we are able to grow. We're no longer sensitive. So at C20, we decided this. We said, we, we clearly know that many millennials and just people in general are desperately lonely. They um, feel isolated. They don't have meaningful relationships. So what are we going to do about that? We decided to launch in a couple of weeks life groups that are all about vulnerability and all about growth. And in these life groups, we're going to be honest with each other about our hangups. We're going to be honest with each other about our brokenness. And not only are we going to encourage each other and tell each other the truth, but we're going to pray for each other. We're going to love each other. And we're going to say, we're not going to just stay in this uh, cycle of loneliness. We're not going to just stay in the cycle of sin. The second principle we can use is this. We must use technology and media with wisdom and restraint. Here's the thing about tech. By nature, it is designed to be addicting. Like you can get on your phone and start scrolling social media and it's been an hour and you look up, you know, oh my gosh, the pizza's burnt, you know? Um, one time my wife and I were, we were going to go uh, hang out at the pool. It was 95 degrees in Austin, Texas. And so it was nice and warm. We're going to hang out by the pool and just have a good old day. But uh, we're, we're hanging out, and so we're like, hey, let's watch an episode of, of Netflix. So we're flick, flicking through Netflix, and do we have any Netflix fans? Okay, just one? No, I'm just kidding. So uh, we're flicking through Netflix, and there's this show called Stranger Things. It's awesome. Great show, okay? Use technology with wisdom and restraint, but it's a great show. And so we're watching Stranger Things, and nine hours later, we look up, and we never went to the pool. We watched every single episode. And we're like, oh my gosh, what happened to the day? It's dark and we had to go to sleep. 66% of parents say that their teen is addicted to their phone. Also, 27% of parents say that they are addicted to their phone. What's interesting about social media is it, when you look through social media, it gives you a dopamine high and you feel like you're actually hanging out with people and really you're just stalking people's profiles and seeing what they're up to. It gives you a dopamine high. Stats show that if you spend two or more hours on social media a day, 
you are actually twice as likely to feel isolated. Interesting. Unfortunately, because we're looking at our phones, we're not having face-to-face conversation. We're not having true family time at the table or at lunch or dinner. But because we're looking at our phones, we're missing out on key moments in life. We're missing out on the beauty of what's happening in front of us. We feel numb because we are so attached to our media devices or to our phones or to video games or whatever that our life is numb because we never have time just to sit and think, just to process. The average adult, this isn't just teenagers, the average adult is using media 11 hours a day. The average adult is using media 11 hours a day. So Paul in Corinthians said this, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Paul said this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Are you mastered by your phone? Do you have to constantly be near your phone, have to constantly answer your texts, uh, answer your emails, scroll through social media, update your Instagram? Are you, are you mastered by video games or Netflix where hours at a time you don't interact with face-to-face people? Technology is also killing creative social interactions. Here's the third principle. We must completely commit to the church family God has given us. Church attendance is at an all-time low as people are starting to view the church in a consumer mindset. So they say, what are the programs of the church that appeal to me and my family? And we're going to go to the church that has the programs that appeal to us the most. And in, in Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews is addressing something. But look what he says in 24, 10, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The emphasis is not on yourselves to attend church and to restore your soul, but it's interesting. He's focusing, he's saying, we're missing you and your ability to spur on others towards love and good deeds. The church needs you and your abilities to spur on others. Will you go all in with your church family and have a purpose? Will you go all in? When you go all in, when you see yourself as a means to end loneliness in others, what's awesome is your loneliness will start to subside. And when you create an environment that is safe for others, when you create an environment that's safe for yourself, for others to say, man, I don't have it all together, for others to be vulnerable. And when they are vulnerable, they feel safe that you're not going to attack them or judge them, but you're going to encourage them and tell them what they need to hear. Will you create a safe environment for others to grow and to help alleviate loneliness? In her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Rosaria Butterfield says this. She has two really powerful statements. First, she says, Hospitality is the ground zero of the Christian faith. When you become a Christian, when you give your life over to the Lord, you begin to think about others. You begin to to try to pursue others. And so what is the ground zero when you're a Christian? Where's the war zone happening? It's happening when you start to pursue others in hospitality. 
Radically ordinary hospitality is this. This is her second quote. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others, and lives out the gospel in word and deed. So maybe you're lonely. You're like, I don't worry about tech. Um, That's not a big deal to me. But you've been just kind of attending church and kind of sitting there. What if you became aggressive in hospitality and radically pursuing others in a way to help uh, alleviate their loneliness? The results are awesome in the fact that you now have a purpose and you are no longer feeling lonely because God is using you to make a, a, a difference in the lives of others. So how do we get unstuck from loneliness? By radically pursuing others on mission and to use our home and our resources as a remedy for loneliness. So here's a challenge for you. As you've been attending church maybe for many years or just a few years or just today. Will you go all in in a life group? Will you join a life group and say, I'm ready to be vulnerable. I understand it's a, we're human and it's an imperfect place, but I understand it's also going to be safe. Will you join a life group? Next Sunday is Life Group Sunday. And we would love for you to say it's time for me to join a life group and to meet new friends and to be a part of something greater than myself. There was a woman in Louisville, Kentucky, who was lonely and felt like she didn't have a purpose. But God grabbed a hold of her heart and she started praying. She said, God, where can you use me to be a difference in the lives of others? And so she started praying. Then God said, I want you to pray in this business parking lot. So she drove to this business and prayed for six months. Well, after six months, God said, now's the time. And so that business parking lot was actually a strip club. And so God said, I want you to be praying in the parking lot of a strip club. And then he said, now's the time to go in. And so she got some friends, they made some meals, and they walked into the strip club and said, hey, can we give a a nice home-cooked meal to you? And here's what's amazing. Every week they brought food and people started going from strangers to family and they started to receive the love and care of Jesus. And she went from lonely and purposelessness to purposefulness and known in community. And she had amazing friends and God used her to change others. She got creative. She wasn't just stuck at her house. She said, I'm going to leave my house. I'm going to go bring meals to others. So I don't know how what God is stirring up in you and how God can use you, but uh, creativity sure does help. And so the final principle is this. With Jesus, you are never alone. I know there are times and seasons when no matter how many principles we can practice, we are in a season of loneliness. No matter how diligent we are in pursuing others, uh, we could get a health scare that keeps us from being able to leave the house or we can lose a loved one or a family member and we feel like all is lost and I understand that. Just know that with Jesus you're never alone. Here's what happened. Jesus was in heaven with God in a place of perfection, of no need, of no desires. They were all met. Jesus saw us here on earth and he said, I'm going to go to earth And I'm going to become lonely so that these people that I love can be a part of the family of God. And so Jesus was born 
in a cave, in a manger, with just animals and his parents, poor and all alone. He lived a perfect life. He pursued others in mission. And then on the cross, God took the sin of the world and put it on the shoulders of Jesus. So he took our sin, he placed it on the shoulders of Jesus, and Jesus became sin. And he said this on the cross. So he took on our sin, and the wrath of God was poured out on him instead of us. And he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He was abandoned by his disciples. And God turned away from him because of the sin on his shoulders. God became lonely all alone so that we could never be alone. Jesus died a lonely death and conquered that sin so that we can become a part of the family of God. And when you receive Jesus as your Lord, as your boss, as your Savior, you are put into the family of God and you are never alone. God is always near. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. He's always close by. And in our busyness, in our work, in our social media, in our phones, and all the stuff we got going on, we can forget that God is near. He loves us. He loves to lavish us with gifts. He loves to lavish us with joy. And we don't reach out to God and say, God, I need you. Look what the psalmist said. He said, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear and trust him. And those who hope in his steadfast love, that fear word is not trembling. It's an utmost respect. When you make the Lord your boss, your savior, you have this fear for him. And you say, God, wherever you want, wherever you want me to go, that's where I'm going to go. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. He takes pleasure in you. And so as the band will be making their way up, and I've given you some principles. What's interesting is you can utilize the first three principles and probably do really well in the loneliness category. But the thing that makes Christians different than the rest of the world is the fact that Jesus is the one who, who took on the sin. And maybe you're sitting here and you have been attending church or you're new to church and you're like, I've never actually given my heart and life over to Jesus. We're going to give you that opportunity. So we're going to sing. And maybe you are, you've been lonely, and I want you to think through, what principles do I need to utilize? Am I being mastered by technology? Or also, it's time for me to give my heart and life over to Jesus to know that I'll never be alone. And so I'm going to pray. We'll sing. I want you to think through that, and then we'll give you an opportunity to respond. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for becoming lonely on the cross you put on our sin on your shoulders and you became that sin. Thank you, Father, for pursuing us. There's nothing about us that attracts us to you, but it's because of your love. God, we have people in this room, probably half of this room, that feels lonely or at one time has felt lonely. God, I pray that they pursue community, that they use technology with wisdom and restraint, that they're open to coaching, and God, thank you so much for your love for us. And I pray as we sing this song that we allow you to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.